Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we're just going to kind of jump right into it. So if you want to turn to Colossians um, chapter 1, we're going to read um, verses 1 through 24, and then we're going to focus uh, the majority of our time this morning focusing on verses uh, 1 through 4. Um, and then we'll, the, in the coming weeks, we'll cover, um, you know, 5 through uh, 14. Uh, also, in just kind of like the crazy array of juggling teachers and um, teaching team members, um, Shannon's going to be on vacation for the next two Sundays. And so I'm actually going to be at Park Street next week. <laughs> and so it's like, don't even get a break. And then I'll be back. And so you guys will have Tony Tucci next week here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so just so you guys are know, like, where's Justin again this week? I'm at Park Street. Um, you guys have the pleasure of Tony Tucci, and then I'll be back and uh, back until Easter. And then uh, on Easter, we'll be combining at the Park Street location. So, if you're wondering, like, what's our Easter plans? The common combined service at Park Street. So, continuing in our series in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, 24. Go ahead and just read along with me. You don't have to read out loud, but read along with me. It says this. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church, for which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations and now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this toil I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this is where we'll be today. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all of those who have not seen me face to face, that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm just going to read through the end here, through verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness in your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to come together and worship you, this time that we have to come together as a body, as a family, and um, just bring our struggles to you this morning to be united, to be knitted together, to know and be known, and to be encouraged in the knowledge that is you. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and that you'd open our minds and that you would bring comfort to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so <laughs> this morning as I look at this passage, um, there's kind of two things that I want us to take away from this passage, specifically verses 2, 1, 
to do four. And I think it's best shown in this picture. I'm kind of a visual person. And so Sean has brought up this picture here. Um, and so what we see in this passage are a couple themes. And the first theme is this theme of the knowledge and wisdom that is found in Christ. And then the next thing that we see is this struggle that Paul faces and how he desires to encourage us to be knitted together in love as a community with one another. And so as I looked at this and as I studied this, I saw kind of this, this circular pattern that happened um, through Paul's struggle and through the life of Jesus Christ and in our life as the body. And that is that we are first kind of made known to the knowledge that is Christ and the, his salvation and his work. Paul is made known of this knowledge on his road to Damascus. And so he then enters into the struggle, which we talked about last week, as the giving of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what we see with Paul is that his knowledge of Christ informs his struggle. And then because of his struggle, he then is able to encourage others to grow in their knowledge of Christ and the wisdom that is there. And so what I find is that we come together, Paul then enters into community, and he doesn't make his struggle personal. Instead, he opens his struggle up to the entire community, and the entire community together grows in their knowledge and wisdom of Jesus. And so that's kind of the thesis for the morning. This is where we're going, um, is that our struggles should be informed by the knowledge and wisdom that we have in Christ. And in our struggles, it should be shared with the community, with one another, being knitted together in love so that we might grow in greater knowledge and wisdom of Jesus. That's the sermon, five minutes right there. I mean, that's, that's where we're going. I just kind of like gave it all away. And so if you want to like turn off now, sure, but I hope not. But just so you know, that's kind of what the pattern that we're going to be repeating and what I find kind of central to this passage in verses one through four. Now, in our world today, we have this study that is called epistemology. Um, and it's this psycho, it's this, sorry, not psychological. It's this philosophical study of knowledge. It is this study of how do we know things? How can things be known? And to what level can we know them? To what certainty can we know what we say that we know? And this philosophical concept was, it's kind of new. It came out in about the 16th century. And it created all of these tests to say that, yep, you can know that thing, or no, we can't know that thing, or to what certainty that we can know a thing. But even though this study of epistemology, this study of knowledge is relatively new, the question of where is knowledge found and where is wisdom found, that is not a new question. It's rather kind of a question as old as time. And so when we go back and we look at the life of Paul, and we look at the life of Christ, there were philosophers even at that time kind of asking the question, how do we know what, do, what we know? Where is the source of wisdom? Where is the source of knowledge? And when we read our Bibles and we look at what Paul says, what we find is not a philosophical concept, nor do we find that our knowledge is found in learned experiences, nor is it found in books, or is it found in our own cutting wit, but Instead, our knowledge is found in what Paul in verse 2 and verse 3 says, the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. And so it is in a person that wisdom and knowledge is found. 
And I think that that's kind of a new idea. It's not an idea that I think of often, because when I think of, well, where's knowledge found? Well, I'm like, the internet. <laughs> In most places. <laughs> I think, well, learned experience. I experienced it, therefore it must be true. But here in Colossians, Paul tells us that knowledge is found in a person. And then that person is Jesus Christ. And it makes sense. I mean, Christ is this person that we read just a couple weeks before that the Bible said that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so we should not be surprised that he is also the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. When we look at the Bible, when we go back to the Old Testament, there's an entire book kind of on wisdom. It's called the book of Proverbs. And in this book of Proverbs, wisdom personifies herself as, as a woman. And she says that we should treasure wisdom, and knowledge. This is what she says in Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver and my knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and that all that you may desire cannot compare to her. And so what we find in the wisdom literature, what we find in wisdom is that it is more treasured than gold or silver. It's this thing that we should treasure the most. In Proverbs 4, it says, get wisdom, though it will cost you all that you have. Gain understanding. It is here in Christ that we find the source of all wisdom and all understanding and all knowledge. And so Paul is saying, get near. Get near to Jesus. Get close to him. Come and know him. And in him, you will find wisdom. You will find courage. I mean, James tells us that he who lacks wisdom asks. And it's in Jesus that we go to, that we get near, and that we ask for his wisdom, for his knowledge. And what I find about, amazing about Jesus is that not only is he like the center of the universe or the creator of the universe, and nor is he just the center of knowledge and wisdom, but he is our God who came to earth and put on flesh and got dirty with us. I mean, what I love about Jesus is that he comes and he lives among us and his life was not easy. And I think a lot of times we think about the life of Jesus and we read the stories of Jesus and we kind of romantically kind of page through them. We're like, oh yeah, but it was Jesus. It's okay. It was Jesus. He can do that. It's all right. It was, it was just Jesus. It was easy. It was no big deal. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I see a life that was nothing but easy. I see a life that he, from the day that he could begin to speak and know who he was, a man who knew that his purpose in life was to die. And he tells his disciples all the time, hey guys, I'm going to die. They're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. He's like, yeah, I am. I'm going to die and I'm going to die for you. They're like, no, no, no. Certainly you're not going to die. And so he's constantly misunderstood no matter where he goes. He's a man that never had a home. He was a man that never had a place to consistently lay his head. And when he did come home, the people thought he was crazy. He was misunderstood. He was rejected. Even his closest friends didn't fully know or understand who he was. And when the time of his greatest trial in his life came, 
He was abandoned. He was left there. And he dies on a cross and he bleeds and he suffers and he passes into death. And so it's in this knowledge and wisdom, though, of who he knows, of who he is, that kind of informs his suffering, though. When we look at the life of Jesus, even though he lived a life that was full of suffering, that was full of loneliness, that was full of trial, what we see is that he knows who he is. And he knows what he's come to do. And so when he knows who he is and he sees the struggles and he engages the struggles of this life, the knowledge of who he is and what he's come to do informs the way in which he engages those struggles. And so when Jesus is there and he's dying on the cross, what is Jesus doing? He's ministering to people. He's ministering to his mom. He's ministering to the disciples that have still remained and that are there. He's ministering to the guy on the cross next to him that is guilty, that is deserving of death. He says, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise today. It's going to be okay. He dies in such a way when he gives up his last breath that the Roman guard there standing at standing there at the foot of the cross, looking up at Jesus, he looks at him and says, surely this man was the Son of God. And so Jesus, in the middle of all of his struggle, in the middle of all of his agony, he is there ministering. He is there still giving of himself. He's leaning in to community with those that are around him. And this week when I was at the funeral of my grandmother, all I could keep thinking was like, I am so glad that the gospel includes death. I am so glad that our God came to earth and experienced the fullness of death and experienced the fullness of resurrection of life afterwards. That is our hope. I was so comforted by that, that our God would humble himself to that low state because he didn't have to do it. But as I'm there grieving, as I'm there feeling the loss of life that just seems unnatural, I'm just there, I'm comforted by our Jesus, who I know experienced the same thing on the cross. He knows what it is to lose his life, to have his life poured out. And so Jesus came and lived his life among us. He suffered and he shared not only in our temptations, not only in our struggle, but he shared in our death. And Hebrews chapter 2 says this. It says that through his death he came so that he might destroy the one who has power over death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who fear, who the fear of death <laughs> were subject to the lifelong slavery. Therefore <laughs> he has made, sorry, therefore he has been made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of our people. So Jesus came to pay our ultimate trial, our ultimate suffering. And so when I think of knowledge, I think of it's one thing to know something, but it's something completely different to experience it. And the beautiful thing about our Jesus is that he doesn't just cognitively know our struggles and our pain and the frustrations of this life. But he experienced, he stepped into it, and he got dirty, and he gave his life, and he experienced it in and through his entire being. 
And I believe that it's through this experience, it's through, this res- through his death and through his struggle and through his resurrection that he then makes known the incredible knowledge and wisdom that we get to grow in that is of himself. And so through his death and resurrection, he makes accessible to us the knowledge and wisdom that is found in him, that was once hidden, that was once a mystery, as Paul said. It has now been revealed through Christ, who's now living inside of us. And so it's in Christ that we see him kind of travel the circle where his (laughs) knowledge of himself informs how he faces a struggle. And because of his struggle, he's then able to encourage us in our knowledge of him as a community. And so it's here in this letter to this congregation in Corinth that Paul is kind of doing the same thing. He seeks to encourage the church in Colossae by pointing to his own struggles. And we talked about last week that that one struggle was this, namely the the advancing of the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, he faces his own imprisonment in Rome. And I believe that it's in this struggle we see him seeking to accomplish two things. And the first is that the people at Colossae would not be swayed from the knowledge that they have in Christ already by plausible Gnostic arguments. He says that in verse 4. And it's here where Paul finds himself suffering for the sake of his faith, facing impending death in Rome, where his knowledge of Christ kind of informs his suffering. Because I don't know about you, I think for us it might be kind of incomprehensible to think of being imprisoned in our life, being put at stake for our faith in Christ. But if we were to do kind of like a mental exercise and think of what that would be like if you were in a place in this world where (laughs) your faith would get you to a place where you were going to be executed, I know that myself, I'd be like, well, that's it. I'm done. They got me handcuffed. They got me tied up. I'm going to face death in a couple days. Like, I guess that's it. You might as well cut me, cut my head off now because it's over. But not Paul, man. Paul, he's in prison. He's in chains. And he's like, there's still work to do. And it's because of his knowledge in Christ. And it informs his struggle. And because of his knowledge in Christ and the struggle that he has facing impending death, he's like, I need more people to know about Jesus. I need these people in Colossae to not be deluded by false arguments about the Christ. I want them to know as I'm going to my death that I believe in this 110% that they should stand firm in their faith right where they are. And so Paul writes this letter to Colossae in the middle of his struggle when he could be as selfish and rightfully so, just saying, woe is me, I'm about to die. Instead, he looks to others and he looks to the mission of Christ. Because the knowledge of Christ has informed his struggle. And so he goes and he encourages the Colossae church to remain consistent. To remain consistent in the gospel that they have received. To stay the course. To live a life that's confident in this idea of Jesus, period, and not Jesus and. I mean, I love the language that he uses in verse 4. If we look at verse 4, he says that he, he says, do not be deluded with plausible arguments. And when I read that verse, I was like, that's an interesting word, deluded, because at first I would have expected it to be deceived. Like, I would have been like, oh, Paul's saying, don't be deceived by plausible arguments. But instead he says, don't be deluded. 
And when we think about what it is to dilute something, it normally means we just, we just add something to it. We take something that is full concentration and we dilute it by adding some water to it or by adding some other mixture to it. And it's not that they're fooled by, like, crazy arguments, but he says plausible ones. He says don't be deluded by plausible arguments that are around you. And so he's saying, look, don't be tricked. Don't be tricked into thinking that in this life you can have Jesus and a little bit of something else to get you through. Because we're going to face trials, we're going to face struggles, and there's going to be times where our faith is going to waver, and we're going to have a hard time believing in Jesus, period. And we're going to be tempted to plausible arguments that are around us to say, well, maybe it's Jesus and. Maybe it's Jesus and this other thing. Or maybe if I do this other thing enough, then maybe I can get Jesus to move in my behalf in the way that I want him to. And Paul's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not be deluded, but stand firm in this place where life is founded on the knowledge and wisdom of Christ and that it begins and ends there. And the cool thing is that many scholars believe that Paul got this letter to the church in Colossae before they were deluded with these Gnostic plausible arguments outside of Christ. They believe that instead of Paul offering a correction to this church, instead he is encouraging them in the way that they have been walking in their strong faith and that he wants to provide them kind of a vaccine to protect against <laughs> the, the virus of Gnostic thinking that is coming. And so it is my hope that we too can be like the church of Colossae, receiving kind of the same encouragement, the same vaccine through Paul. That as Paul is suffering for those in Laodicea and for those in Colossae, he says that he's suffering also for those who have not yet seen him face to face. And I think that includes you and me as we are Gentiles. And so Paul, in that prison, as he's suffering, as he's looking at death, he's letting his life be informed by his suffering. But through it, he's able to encourage us in the knowledge and the wisdom that is Jesus. He's like, go to Jesus and know him more. Go to Jesus and know him more. And this brings us kind of to the second hope that Paul has in his struggling, and that is that we would be found knitted together in love. That we'd be found as a community that is knitted or woven together in love. It says this in chapter, I mean, in verse 1, it says, I want you to know how great the struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and all those who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach the richest and the full assurance. He wants us to be confident of our faith in Christ, to have our full assurance and understanding. He wants us to have a clear mind when it comes to knowing Christ and the knowledge of God in his mystery, which is Christ Jesus. And so I believe that it is this knitting together in love that is kind of our application point for us this morning. For Paul, this is kind of the second side of the circle. He suffers, and his suffering is informed by the knowledge of Christ. And the reason that he suffers and the way that he suffers is for the purpose and the aim of entering into community and for the community to grow and be encouraged in this knowledge and wisdom that is Jesus. And so when I think of this being knit together in love, I think, that it, I think of it being kind of this knowing and being known. 
that our being knit together is rooted in knowledge of one another. And when we think about that, when we think of knowledge being found in one another, that I can know Todd and Todd can know me, the idea of knowledge being found in Jesus does not seem as abstract. That there is knowledge and that there is wisdom and that he is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge that is found in a person. And in knowing one another, in you knowing me and me knowing you, what I find is that we begin to share this life together. And in this life together, there's joys that we get to celebrate together, but there's also many trials that we face and that we are called to face together. And I know right now that in this church and in this body, there are are many of us that are facing unfathomable trials. Maybe for you it's not like this massive mountain of a trial, but I know that all of us are facing some type of ridge or peak of a trial, some form of struggle in our life. And it's in being knitted together that we get to encourage one another, that we get to encourage one another that is our hope, that is Christ, and the knowledge that we have in Christ that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to love us. I mean, when Christ died on the cross, he made known to us his love. He made known to us the love of God. He made known to us the forgiveness of God. He made known to us the mercy of God. He made known to us the patience of God, the faithfulness of God. And these are the things that we need to remind one another as we face our struggles because when I face struggles, very rarely am I naturally going to turn and say, hey, I should let the knowledge that I have in Christ inform my struggle. And you know what I should do with that struggle? I should bring that struggle actually into community and let everyone know about it so that we can be encouraged in the knowledge and the hope that we have in Christ together so that we can grow together. Normally, the natural tendency is to close the doors and have a pity party and say, woe is me, I'm struggling, and then come into community and say, everything's fine. But that's not the hope that Paul has for us. The hope that Paul has for us is that we'd be found together, knitted together in love, sharing this life together in both our joys and our sorrows and in our struggles so that we would be comforted and so that we would know him more, that we would know his love more, that we would know him deeper. And so there's this incredible story that's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 19. And there's these two brothers, Joab and Abishai. And they're together and they've got the people of Israel and they, found them, they find themselves surrounded by the armies of the Ammonites and the Syrians. And so Joab and his brother Abishai are surrounded from both sides by these two armies. And they decide that, you know, the best thing for us to do in this situation is divide and conquer. You take one of the armies, I'll take one of the other armies, and we'll get through this together. And this is what they say to one another. This is what Joab says to his brother Abishai. He says, if the Syrians are too strong for me. So Joab's going after the Syrians. He says, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall come and help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, that's who his brother's going after, then I will help you. He says, be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. 
And I think in this picture of two brothers coming together and saying, hey, if it becomes too much for you, I'm going to come and help you. And if it becomes too much for you, I'm going to come and help you. And we're going to stand strong, not in our own strength, but in the strength that we find in the knowledge of Christ, that we're going to stand together. I think this is an incredible picture of what it means to be knitted together in love, to know and be known, to celebrate and to suffer together and to encourage one another in the goodness and the grace that is in our God. There's also this incredible verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul affirms this idea of being knit together and sharing each other's suffering so that we might be able to comfort one another. He says this, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves have received as we've been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in its comfort. And so it's in this knowledge of Christ that we share in our sufferings, that our sufferings are informed by him. And it's also through him that we receive and give comfort. What I find amazing about this verse is that he says that he's going to bring us comfort. And he says, and the purpose of me bringing you comfort is so that you can turn around and lean in and give comfort to other people that are suffering around you. And so if he's using you to bring his comfort to other people, who do you think he's using to bring comfort into your life? Probably other people. And I can testify to this. As we face this trial of my grandmother passing, the overflowing of community, of people turning and coming to comfort us in our time of need was amazing. And I come back renewed by God's Spirit saying, man, where, where do I need to go and comfort someone else in the middle of their trial? Because what I found is that when you're suffering, it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something for them. It didn't matter if it was a card or an email or a text message or a gas card or flowers. You know, there might be times where you might be saying, hey, I'm sorry about your grandmother. And, I, and I'm like, I've just, I've received so much of that. I'm just like, thank you, thank you. But I want you to know that it means the world to me and that God is using you to bring comfort to me and to my family at this time. And I'm encouraged to then go and provide comfort where I see the people of God suffering, where I see the people in my community, in my sphere, suffering. And that I might let the knowledge of God inform my suffering so that we can grow together and grow closer to Him, who is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge and all grace and all comfort and all healing. And so as we kind of go out from this place, as we prepare our hearts to like worship in response because of how good our God is for how great his knowledge is and that he would share it with us and that he would get dirty with us and that he would even share in our death and our wrath on our behalf for us. I want us to consider a couple of things and ask how does our current knowledge in Christ inform our current struggle? Because I think that that's something that we have to be intentional about as we face our struggles. How does our knowledge of Christ inform our struggle? And then how are we going to bring that struggle into community so that we together as a body can grow towards greater knowledge 
and understanding in who Christ is. How is God calling you in the middle of your struggle to lean in and to make yourself known? And that might seem terrifying. That might seem like the last thing you want to do right now is to make your struggle and for you to be known. But being knit together in love is this place where we have to lean in together and say that I'm not going to wait for you to ask me how I'm doing, but I'm going to make myself known. And it's also this place where we can't just go and make ourselves known and not go and seek out others, but it's this place of mutual seeking, this place of mutual leaning in, this mutual sharing of life, of joy, and of sadness and in sorrow, and continually pointing us back to the source of all understanding and all wisdom that is Christ. Because he's the one who brings comfort. And so those are the two thoughts that I have, is how is our current struggle being informed by our knowledge in Christ? And where is God calling you to lean in and share your struggle? Or where is God calling you to lean in and bring comfort to those who you know that are struggling around you? Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time that we have to come together. This time where we can be honest with you and honest with one another and say, there are some things that we are struggling with in this life. And God, we need you. We need your knowledge. We need your wisdom. We need your comfort. And God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would give us courage to share life together, to be knitted and found together in love with one another and with you, and that we would continue to grow as a community closer to you, knowing how rich and how full your knowledge and wisdom is. God, that you would bring joy in our sorrow, and that we would continue to celebrate in greater joy in the places that you have brought rejoicing. And so, God, this morning we rejoice that you've given us your Son. We rejoice that you have made yourself fully known to us. And we rejoice that you laid down your life on behalf of us so that we might know you and have relationship with you and relationship with one another. God, give us strength this week as we go and give us eyes to see and ears to hear to bless those and minister to those that are around us. In your name we pray. Amen.